Welcome to the Average Joe Jiu-Jitsu Podcast, Episode 22, Eli Knight. Eli Knight is a second-degree black belt under Hoist Gracie and has been the senior supervising instructor at Three Rivers Martial Arts, located at 3055 North Friendship Road, Unit 4, in Pudacog, Kentucky, for two decades. Eli Knight is best known for his contributions to self-defense and equating jiu-jitsu to address the needs of real-life altercations. Eli's social media presence is quite large, uh, 252,000 subscribers on YouTube, making him one of the most visible advocates of the art, and he's been producing helpful content for years, sharing his approach to jiu-jitsu with the masses. Eli has a way of molding jiu-jitsu to fit any settings with a simple and easily digestible curriculum that all practitioners can subscribe to. He is incredibly well-spoken, and, and his instruction is clear, concise, and direct, creating a very enjoyable learning experience for the student. Uh, Eli, thank you very much for coming on today and talking to me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. So, so as I as I read off in the introduction, like I can personally say I have been a fan of yours for years. Um, I've been training for eight years, and you were one of the first uh, personalities that I found on YouTube. I was looking for information, and uh, and I've I've watched you all those years. So I really I really enjoy your stuff. Um, and uh, I was wondering, you know, I guess we could just start at the beginning. Like, how did you get involved in martial arts, and you know, how did it all start for you? How did you you know find hoist, et cetera? Um, well, I, uh, I always tell people I was I started in a, a part of the country that, uh, and at a time when you know, typical martial arts that you would find around this area, in a small town in Kentucky. And uh, so, you know, it's, you have the normal like Taekwondo, karate, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually um, I did Taekwondo for a little while. And then you know, as a teenager, I found uh, a gentleman named Jason Hawkins who was training uh, he was already a black belt in jiu-jitsu, not, not Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. It's easiest just to call it Japanese jiu-jitsu or traditional jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was also training a lot of other stuff. He was training Jeet Kune Do, he was training Filipino martial arts. He was uh, you know, fairly fairly new into the game of all those, but he was just he was just a, a batch of information and just a vacuum, just trying to study everything that he could. And I, that's what I liked. I really admired that approach. And so I, I started training under him. And this was right around the time. This is the early 90s and was right around the time of the UFCs. So, um, you know, of course, watching, being jiu-jitsu practitioners back then and then watching the jiu-jitsu guy win in the UFCs, that's, you know, kind of amazing for us. You know? So it's, but obviously the jiu-jitsu that Hoist was doing and his family was doing was something that was very new to all martial artists at the time, mm. jiu-jitsu people, but. So we started to um, try to follow him around the nation wherever he was doing a seminar that was reasonable for us to go to. Um, and uh, he's, we started hitting his free seminars frequently enough. He started to recognize this, this group of kid, guys from Kentucky. And eventually um, he asked us if we wanted to be an association of Gracie Academy. Because back then it was, he was with Gracie Academy with Horion and a few other instructors. And um, so we became an association. And then once he actually parted ways with Gracie Academy, we were one of his flagship networks. And kind of that's basically um, the, the history of it. We, we've started to stay with Boyce ever since. Um, mm. he's, he is uh, our, every, every amount of rank um, past blue belt I've gotten from Boyce. I started mm. under him and his family when I was a white belt. Um, uh, myself, Jason Hawkins, and a few other. Got our blue belts from Grandmaster Alio, and then everything else came uh, from from voice after that. And uh, but yeah, that's that's basically the, the 
history of uh, my jujitsu. You know? And now, in addition to that, I mean, I, I I've learned all my fundamentals, all my foundation from boys, and I continue to to learn things from him you know, all the time. Just like I'll see new detail even now from something he showed twenty years ago that I'll pick mm. up on. Um, but also, you know, I I, I really like the, the jujitsu community, like every aspect of it for the most part. I mean, I like gi jujitsu, no gi jujitsu. I've got a lot of Tenth Planet friends. I've got people in all walks of life in the community and and beyond that too. I've got a lot of martial arts friends that um, jujitsu is not their their main forte. So it's just uh, I like to see the integration of all of it. I, I like the self defense and I like the sportive aspects too and. Uh, it's all good. So. Awesome. So I did catch one, one point. You actually did train with Halo, with Halo. Yeah, a, a few times. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to make it sound like I, I was you know, too frequent of a student under mm-hmm. Grandmaster Halo, but um, I, while we were training with Hoist, um, and, um, you know, we we trained several times when Grandmaster Halo would actually tour back then in the day. And, uh, you know, he would teach at, at the Gracie Academy periodically, and he would come to some seminars and to some camps and to cruises and things like that. And I was at one of these camps, actually, after we had been training for a little while, that me and the group that I was with, um, we, I guess, oh, you know, all had kind of enough experience. We all got our blue belts together and it was kind of under the blessing of Grandmaster Alio. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, that was a, a very, very cool thing to have that experience for sure, to get to learn, you know, from him. Of course, you know, he would always have a translator, you know, Orion would translate, um, because Elio never spoke English. Right. It was very cool to see um, how he would present the techniques. Uh, and I think you know, around the time that, I think the first time that I ever got to train in a setting where he was teaching, he was 86 years old, mm-hmm. 85 or 86 years old. And um, yeah, so it was, it was very cool. Wow. Um, what was it like? I mean, back that was back in the 90s, correct? So, yes. yeah, what was it like back then to be training in jiu-jitsu? It seems like it was like, I, I guess what I'm asking is, like, today it's very mainstream. It's very, and it's very, like, competition-based, and it's sort, I wouldn't, probably not the same everywhere you go, but it, there's a very, there's a very sport-emphasized uh, 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 way of doing jiu-jitsu now, but to the masses. What was it like back in the 90s when it was more like the, you know, the dojo swarming and the, and the yeah. you know, the Gracies and et cetera? Yeah, I think um, it is very different now. I think that the sport has definitely, it's not that the, the self-defense aspect is it's not a little, it's no longer around. It's just that the sport has eclipsed it, obviously, you know, um, which, you know, I think that the sport has just evolved so quickly and it's still constantly evolving. And that's a great thing. That's a really cool thing to see. And, and honestly, the level of technique that's out there right now, the level of skill and the learning curve is so sharp now. I mean, that's why you have like, Cola Bates out there, and you have Rotolo brothers out there, and you have these mm-hmm. kids who, you know, the they the second that they get a blue belt on them, sometimes when they're still a green belt, they're you know, already tapping black belts. Right. And uh, you know, that uh, as a as a you know, 40 something year old black belt, that's a bummer, but at the same time, it's very <laughs> cool if it just to, you know, from a respect standpoint, that's awesome to see. Right. But yeah, back in the nineties though, man, I mean back back in the day, it was kind of like seeing uh, if you saw a purple belt back then, it was kind of like seeing a unicorn, like yeah. in the States, especially in the areas that we were. So right. I remember um, you know, some of the early seminars that I went to back then, I would see Carlos Machado, I saw um, uh, 
Megaton was doing seminars back then. Didn't even speak very good English back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he brought a brown belt with him, that was like that was so rare to see something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was, it was one of those things where it was just it was very cool because it was jujitsu like really blew up so much because um, I don't know, it's it's not to overgeneralize or, or to sound degrading, but for the most part. If you saw somebody who was a, a martial artist, you know, karate guy, taekwondo guy, kung fu guy, whatever he was, and even if he was a badass and he looked really good with his technique and his form and everything like that, he got to a fight. Even if he did well in the fight, knocked somebody out or beat somebody up, and a lot of the technique kind of went out the window. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, like look at the early UFC. It's like you know, it didn't look like the cop. It didn't look like you know, whatever. With jujitsu, it's like you know. The way that you train, you went in there and you did stuff like it looked like like the stuff that you learned was functional pretty immediate. Like mm-hmm. A lot of it was because of the grappling nature, you know. I mean, so it, it was it was very cool to see that. But I mean, as far as getting back to kind of the atmosphere, what it was like back then, um, you know, it was uh, it was a little bit. I don't know. There was a laid back aspect of it. I really liked that. You know, going into to study um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I guess, for lack of a better term, back then, it was like, you know, you were going to learn something. There wasn't a big distinction of like, you know, this is a sport technique or a self-defense technique. You would go in and you would learn a cross choke, you'd learn like a scissor speed, you would learn a hip throw. But then you'd also be talking about the world the guy tries to punch you from. Mm-hmm. And we're wearing, we're wearing geese, you know, which is now people are going to look at you a little weird if you go in and you're, you know, you're going to teach like a bow and arrow choke and then talk about, well, if the guy's trying to hit you in the groin or the guy's trying to bite you, right. it's like, well, that's against the rules. You know I mean? We don't have to address that. There's, there's rules right. against that. Back then the rules were a little more material. The sport wasn't really delineated that much um, in, in most environments. Now, of course, even back in the nineties though, like down in Brazil with the Mundials and everything like that, it was like, there was the sport. But even with that, it was a, a little looser with rules, you know. So, yeah. uh, it's, you know, there's some things that were similar, some things that were very, very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how you're saying too about the, you know, now the guy's punching you, so forth. Like I, I went down the rabbit hole in the last week, you know, looking at a lot of your videos and stuff, and looking for things to talk about, and and. Uh, one of the things that really interests me is the self-defense aspects of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because that's really what why I got into it. I mean, I did I did karate for ten years when I was in junior high, and all you know, and later on, you know, my young adulthood, I did you know uh, eighteen years of traditional Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, like what you mentioned earlier. Um, and one of the guys I trained with who did that, you know, my last teacher in, in that was actually similar to the, to the gentleman you mentioned where he had done Jeet Kune Do and he did a bunch of other stuff. He's just a really good martial artist, just a badass, you know, just very interesting guy. And I used to, I used to actually drive uh, two hours, two and a half hours, almost no, three hours to get there to Sonora every Monday to go train with him. And I trained for two hours and I drive home. And I did that like probably for the last four years until, I, you know, we had our first child and, and uh, you know, so it was worth it to me. And then, I, you know, I would do some other training down here in the area where I lived, you know, in, in before I went back up. But um, I've, I've always had that, like, as far as, I, 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 to me, it's always been about martial arts. And, and like when I got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because I was like, I want to do something that I haven't done before. I didn't really have a lot of experience in the ground, et cetera. 
you know, I had been around for UFC one. I watched it when it first aired in the nineties, but it just wasn't around here. Um, but I found that once I got into it, I found, like you said, it was very like the, the, the sport had eclipsed it and, and you just really didn't talk about it very much. And, and I remember looking at, before I started, I was looking at like, like the Gracie Combatives course, you know, and, and what they were showing. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool stuff. And, but you never saw any of that stuff in class. You know, you didn't talk about it, but it's there. It's just people don't talk about it. It's like some of the things you were showing about, like on your videos, as far as like uh, mount escapes, you know, against punches. A lot of that stuff is like just basic, you know, underhooks and, you know, and, and uh, you know, tying the bicep, you know, to not get crossface, but also not to get punched in the face. So it's the same positions, but it's just people just don't mention it or they don't know it. I don't know. You know, I mean, I think that's a big thing with it. Right. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that that's that's the, the a lot of what isn't really talked about. I feel like in, in, uh, fundamental jujitsu, because mm -hmm. I think you, you still go into a, a lot of places and, you know, they say that they're teaching you self-defense. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, at the same time, your second class, you're going to be working daily. You know, it's like mm -hmm. so it, it's a lot of the 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 principles stay the same a lot of the, the mechanics stay the same a frame is a frame a wedge is a wedge it's just mm -hmm. like what's it's how many different purposes can it have you know right. so I, I always try to contextualize and this i do a lot of a, a lot of seminars at places um that because i'm you know i'm kind of like uh, friendly to step outside of the community it's like mm -hmm. if i'll go to this school over here that's very sport oriented i'll do a, a, a workshop on butterfly card but then i'll go over to this school that's primarily a Krav Maga school and they're just they're they don't have a, any ground game at all they want to have some fun some foundational tools so mm -hmm. if nothing else survive on the ground until they can get back to stand so it's, right and I think you know whatever man it's all good like it's the uh, there's no place um, in my opinion for for snobbery or pretentiousness of saying like you know well that's this over here is crap we're only, mm -hmm. we're the only ones doing the real thing or the good thing this over mm -hmm. here is crap I think uh, that's that's a good way to kill the value of martial arts, and I think mm. it's a good way to drive people away from it. I don't think that many people come into, depending on what age you are, but for the most part, these days you'll get a lot of people that will say, "Well, I want to learn that UFC stuff," but you know, before that, even even to this day, overwhelmingly most people that step into a martial arts school, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or otherwise, mm. they want to learn self defense. They want to learn how to fight. Mm -hmm. right and they know that that those those jiu-jitsu guys are badasses or something you know and so they want to go and they want to learn the good stuff and so i think that you know it's important to contextualize with people like that it's important to be intellectually honest with people like that and not mm -hmm. you know if i have somebody come in and their first class that they come to is more of a sportive class or it's more of an intermediate class we'll allow them to come in and i'll probably put them with someone who you know, can help them through the techniques, but I, I always try to make sure that I'm, I'm expressing and contextualizing for this person. Like, look, this is not what you're going to do in a street fight. Now, this is going to this is going to be good, and there's a variation of this that is going to be more applicable to mm -hmm. a self defense situation or for MMA or for whatever. But this variation that we're doing, this version we're doing tonight, is going to be a little more sport oriented, a little more key dependent, a little more whatever. And I think it's not hard. It shouldn't be hard for an instructor to, to contextualize that. But mm -hmm. I think that like a lot of people just don't want to mess with it. I think a lot of people just just want to say like you're going to come in and whatever I'm going to teach you're going to learn and don't question me. Mm -hmm. you know, I think I think that's a bad attitude. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. 
so when did you make the decision to start your YouTube channel? Because I mean, I, I like again, I, I, I think your service is really good. You really provided a lot of good information and stuff to think about. And and um, so I guess, yeah. When when did you start start the idea? I mean, how did you how did you get to that? Um, well, this thing called YouTube came out, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> so we, uh, me, and a buddy of mine, uh, Jared Jessup, who he still teaches about an hour worth of me, and we we've made several instructionals together, and we've trained together for mm-hmm. a long time. We don't train as much as we would like to these days, just mm-hmm. life, but we um, uh, we decided when we were purple belts, like uh, think me more than him, but I was like, we should do it like a technique of the week and mm-hmm. put it up on up online and, uh, you, you know youtube was its infancy i think the first video i made was in 2007 i think youtube came out 2006 if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and so um of course you know we made a couple videos and uh then you know it became more like technique of the month or every two months or something right. it was incon- inconsistent just for fun mm-hmm. and uh you know i throw a video up every once in a while and then um <laughs> After about 10 years of doing that, I had amassed uh, an incredible 6,000 subscribers to my YouTube channel after 10 years. And, and so it, it wasn't going anywhere. I never really expected it to go much of anywhere. And then something just happened. I guess like it, it's just how things happen. They, I put out a couple videos um, within about a week of each other. And mm-hmm. um, within a few months, I started getting tens of thousands of new subscribers for some reason and um then that that got me a little bit more attention and i you know started to take it more seriously and started you know to, to try to put a little more quality a little more information into mm-hmm. it a little bit better, whatever mm-hmm. and then i got um asked by you know some different resources to do instructional videos and that in turn you know brought more attention back to my youtube channel and so it, it just kind of happened from there and it, it's just I've been very fortunate since then that it's it's grown pretty precipitously like past that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's basically it. I just did it for fun. And I take it a little more seriously because it's like a real thing. Yeah, nice. So you did mention instructionals, and you have you have six instructionals on BJJ Fanatics right now, and they all look really good. But one in particular caught my eye, and it's called it's titled "Gi to Street Self Defense" by Eli Knight. And can you give an overview of what's included in that instruction? Yeah, I hate that title. I hate, um, <laughs> I hate, I hate things that say uh, streak in them. Honestly, I kind of hate things that say self defense in them. Like, mm-hmm. just it's it's because I I know kind of the connotation that it immediately is a polarizing kind of connotation to it, and just sounds. Right. I mean, it sounds corny, man. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. street stuff. Street legal stuff is kind of corny. I even joke about it in a lot of my videos. Mm-hmm. But, um, honestly, like. We were sitting there like, man, I don't know what to call this. Because we're talking about how do gi techniques translate to just clothing, you know, mm-hmm. clothing material, jackets, mm-hmm. T-shirts, whatever. Because it's just something I get asked about a lot. People, like, anytime you show somebody, oh, look, you can do this with a hoodie just like you can with a gi. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you can do this with a, a hoodie not like a gi. Mm-hmm. People are in trouble. And I think it's cool, too. Like, whenever I see somebody use, like, a clothing technique, mm-hmm pretty freaking cool you know yeah and you, i mean why do people go to hockey games you know they want to see the fights they want to see right the, they want to see somebody grabbing the jersey and holding it and punching the other guy and I, right. literally literally half an hour ago i was having a conversation with um with a kid who was asking me 
about karate. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, karate is a grappling martial art. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like it, it just doesn't look like it the way that most people teach it these days. <laughs> because, I mean, over time, it got watered down. It's, it's harder to teach grappling techniques to a, a, a group of 50 or 100 people mm-hmm. because you have to be hands-on. You have to demonstrate it like that. You have to go around and, and hands-on correct Whereas I can have 500 people line up and put them in horse stance and teach them reverse punches and high blocks. And front mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that karate sucks. It just means that the interpretation and, and translation of it is different. But if mm-hmm. you look at old texts and old manuals, and I'm getting back to the instruction you asked about, mm-hmm. I'm not deviating too much, no, just it. a little yeah. bit of attention. But it's, you know, look back at the old text and see how, uh, how they were dressed, how they were mm-hmm. grabbing the, the mm-hmm. moves that they were making. Mm-hmm. And then you'll start to look at some of the forms, whether it's Okinawan karate or, or Japanese or whatever, and you'll see where the throws fit in. You'll see where the mm-hmm. takedowns are. You'll see mm-hmm. where the um, like like neck restraints and um, mm-hmm. clothing holds while they're striking. Mm-hmm. Those things all exist in in uh, traditional karate in the in the, the, the uh, history of it. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not in that sense. Like I feel like it's something valuable to look at and to understand it, to Mm -hmm. know and to study, Mm -hmm. to have, you know, application. Because otherwise, what's, you know, what, I think that it's, uh, again, it goes back to that whole context thing, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. if we can contextualize, this is actually fight applicable, even though we are using the grips of the gi and whatever, you know, but there are some little modifications, little technicalities that you have to be aware of so that you're not Mm -hmm. getting just bashed in the face while you're trying to grab this person's clothing but mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that was actually a really fun one to make and it's been a really popular mm-hmm. one because nobody else really tackles that, right. that subject very much and just like the but like i said man i, I didn't know anything good to name it you mm-hmm. know it's like right the names of some of these instructionals man like there's another one that's like keep more as for the street and a part yeah. of that too was because whenever um, i got in with bj um they were they were particularly looking to get some good um information some good videos for their uh for their self-defense side because right. they have the self de- the effective self-defense offshoot and um bjj Finax is a fantastic company bernardo mm-hmm. and michael are fantastic people they're generous mm-hmm. like great human beings that, that work with some of the best in the world I mean, mm-hmm. some of the best people on the planet have instructions for them um but man some of the self-defense stuff is just hard it's it's tough to sort through good self-defense mm-hmm. you know? yeah so i wanted to make sure that i was trying to get the best information the best quality that i could possibly could for that that topic mm-hmm. and then eventually weasel my way into the sports side right so, right <laughs> naturally well i mean like i said there's nothing wrong with it. i mean i like the sports side too i mean i i compete i did a, did a lot of competition my first you know through white and blue belt and purple now but you know and then the pandemic hit but you know I, I like the sport aspect of it. I, and I think there's nothing wrong with that sport aspect. And that's like the, in a way, the sort of the bread and butter of jujitsu nowadays anyway. I mean, that's really what it's really about in the majority of it. Um, but I still like the self-defense aspect of it too. I like to, you know, have both, you know, where, you know, if I, if I, God forbid, ever had to use it to defend myself or a family member or a friend that, you know, I wouldn't feel you know, like a fish out of water trying to do it. Um, right. You know, and actually, I was just talking to uh, a friend of mine in the academy of the day. We we're talking about getting some uh, MMA gloves and just do some like one day a week, do some light, you know, touching each other, you know, Absolutely. while we're doing jujitsu. And I was going to ask you about that, too. Like, are there ways that you can for the average practitioner who wants to, you know, who's in a, you know, 
uh, uh, your average jujitsu academy that doesn't really concentrate towards the self-defense? Are there, are there ways to incorporate that type of training into your training so you get that aspect of it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I get I get people ask me that a lot. And I think it's a, I, I love getting that question because it shows that people are interested in doing that. I think that that's a really important thing because it's, it's for the posterity of the art too, mm-hmm. the style and everything. So it's, um, you know, it's something else that uh, even, even beyond that is you know, starting to add, because I work with a, a group up in Ohio with Eric Chimney and Mike Cheney on something called Knife Control Concepts, mm-hmm. which has been a, a really uh, excellent program. It's one of the most realistic um, approaches to training uh, an a edge weapon situation and defensive manner. You know, not uh, calling it knife defense kind of cheapens it almost. It's a methodology of training where there's the potential for an edge weapon to be involved in it. Nice. And I, and I think that that adds another element of realism to it because it's not unrealistic to think that when you get to a fight with somebody, and this was the premise behind when I read the, the, the bladed grappler stuff too. It's like, you know, it, knife defense isn't just somebody pulling out a butcher knife and running from, at you from 20 feet away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's somebody getting close enough to you and maybe a scuffle already starting, a fight already starting, and then them producing the blade they can produce before. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but getting back to what you were talking about with implementing, you know, like striking and, and other things like that with, with your jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I think it's, it's as easy as you just said, I think mm-hmm. getting some gloves or getting some small padded kind of um, articulated bag gloves and just um, going through positions and, you know, starting the rollout normal. But when you have the opportunity to maintain control of a position or get the dominant position on someone and then either feign or lightly apply striking to it, mm-hmm. that opens up. Because uh, the, the first thing you start to see with people who are not accustomed to training that way is that they're hyper defensive mm-hmm. and it's you're going to take somebody with a very high skill level and all of a sudden now they're covering up they're not taking the chances of, of exposing different spaces they were mm-hmm. going to do because uh, i think that on the ground um striking should be used economically um, mm-hmm. and this is what you see the most effective ground and pound people uh, not just the biggest most brutal people but the, the people who are economical with your strikes on the ground they use it to progress the position the striking mm-hmm. helps to set up the wrestling and grappling wrestling and grappling helps set up the striking mm-hmm. it's position dot like positional dominance and then striking or it's um this space is open when i need it to be closed so i'm going to throw this punch to mm-hmm. open that space now i can progress my position or vice versa you know i'm going to use this to open this space. so it's you know i think that when people started taking that approach to it, it's not just like, okay, I've got to, I've got to punch this guy as soon as I can, as many mm. times as I can, you know, um, it's the, it's, you know, once you start to realize that you, those things need to work in, in harmony together, then that changes the game a lot. Right. That's, that's one of the beautiful things about combat jujitsu. I think combat jujitsu is a fantastic, when that first came out, it was like, well, so, you're basically taking MMA, but you have to use open hands and you can't hit each other standing. You gotta wait till it's on. This is weird, you know. But then when you saw it apply, you saw it in competition, how it played out. Yeah. Like, man, that's that's an evolution. Like, I that's thought it was some tits. That's a force that absolutely yeah. Now there's been now there's been knockouts in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the people heels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not slaps. It's not slaps. No. It's, nobody throws slaps anymore, man. Yeah. They're throwing boss root and style. 
palm strikes. I mean, those are straight palm strikes. Palm strikes are powerful. I mean, like I said, I, I, did, I did karate all that before, you know, for years. I, I, mean, I know what that's not how powerful it is. It's powerful. Palm, I mean, I would I would rather palm heal somebody in the face than punch them any other week or elbow them or, you know. Yeah, you're less likely to break your hands. Yeah. 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 So much more power. It's just ridiculous. Um, it, and, you know, and you mentioned that, and thanks for answering my question as far as though I had to add it in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. Um, and, and see how it goes and it'll be an interesting uh uh experiment um although i am i, I am hoping that i'm excited about it because i was watching the videos you put out and i was like oh he's doing a lot of the same positions i already do so maybe i can figure out how to use the stuff i've already been doing in that context and it might be able to fall together a little bit but uh, and then then uh, then throw you a, a training knife nearby that you're mm -hmm. both having to grapple to try yeah. to get to and then yeah. see what happens when one of you gets it. It's yeah, that's a whole other shit storm, man. So. Oh yeah. And so I was gonna ask you too, have you ever seen the, did you ever see the movie uh, Surviving Edge Weapons? Surviving Edge Weapons, the movie? It's a it's a documentary. Well, it's like a I saw it in the police academy years ago. And and it's like I think I still even have a copy of it somewhere. But it was an old movie made for law enforcement. Oh, please froze up. Hold on. Hold on. There we are. Okay. So yeah, it's a it's a movie that I saw years years ago in the in the police academy. And it's a movie made for law enforcement for training. And it had uh, Danny and Santo in it doing the night yeah, attacks, okay. which I was like. I was like, why would they, you know, it's like people who don't know who he is, it doesn't matter, but I knew who he was. And I was like, oh my God, that's yeah. ridiculous. You know? But, um, you know, uh, but my point is I saw the film and I wasn't scared of guns anymore. It was just knives. It, like oh, knives sure. are scary. I mean, you know, what are your, yeah. I mean, you were talking about knife defense earlier. Like what are your, what are your thoughts on, the, on that subject? Uh, I, I think that's probably one of the most horrifying like, propositions, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I think, you know, I think there's, um, well, I think that it's it's a really important thing to recognize, and the the, the thing that I like about a lot of the work that, um, you know, putting it into a grappling context, because I can, uh, I think a lot of the a lot of the knife defense you see, like historically, it's just it's like you got some of this like it's like that Jim Carrey skit on Living Cult. You know, it's good. This is an unrealistic attack of ah here mm -hmm. from across the room, and then you block and you do these steps, and it's just never going to play out like that it's like right. the detroit urban survival guy doing something you know and uh the i think that what is more realistic if you're going to survive a knife attack it's going to be from wrestling it's going to be yeah. from running or wrestling you know mm -hmm. um it's it's not going to be a simple one two-step process it's going to get messy it's going to be but you know i think some of the most effective things that i've seen comes just from straight wrestling mm -hmm. it's one ones it's arm drags it's ties it's clinches you know it's uh, controlled takedowns it's it's wrestling style ground positioning you know it's not not a lot of guard work you know it's not a lot mm -hmm. of uh, you know not a lot of like um sportive jujitsu but it's it's definitely fundamental principles of grappling that mm -hmm. are going to survive those kind of attacks and um <laughs> So, you know, I think that's a really important. Now, I think the two schools of thought are, yeah, that's a really important consideration. But, um, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, it's, you're just going to die. You get attacked with a knife, you know, it's you're not going to fight your way out of it. You're going to, you know, you're going to get, you're going to either run away and survive or you're going to die. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's, and, and, and people who are like serious about training uh, different martial arts actually have that opinion. And I'm like, what a lazy mentality. Mm -hmm. What an absolutely 
worthless way to view that mm. um, and, and prejudicial and everything else. I'm like, man, if you view this as a real problem, a significant real problem in a self-defense mm. situation, you claim to you know, care about self-defense at all, that should be a consideration for sure. You know, I mean, mm. um, now the other thing about it too is even if this, this you know, you, you don't expect to get into a fight, especially not a deadly confrontation or whatever, Mm-hmm. which I think most people don't, but um, even if not, I think that it's fun. You know? mm-hmm. And I think, I think you can't discount a lot of the time the fun factor mm-hmm. of training anything martial arts related and even something like a, a knife related. Mm-hmm. When you, like I said before, like if you start out, you get a room full of people grappling, right? You get a room full of people who just, okay, you got to go ahead and start rolling, mm-hmm. whatever, 50%. Right. And, they, they're just rolling through, they get in positions, trying to catch each other, trying to escape this and that. And then you take like a little rubber tree and you toss it their way within arm's reach. It's mm-hmm. like whoever gets to it first, they can stab the other one with it. Mm-hmm. And they're, now all of a sudden the intensity goes through the roof, positions go to shit a lot of mm-hmm. the time. They, they mm-hmm. start to, it starts to get real messy real quick because they, they both get tunnel vision on that weapon. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and now that's, that's, just a rubber training. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's an actual thing with a blade and a point on it, the intensity is through the roof. The adrenaline is right. through the roof. You know? So you, now all of a sudden, um, things have greatly intensified. Um, and the, the underlying thing about it is, well, and then, then all of a sudden, the, some, some things start to happen. You start to see people like grappling with a knife and it's like, uh, people will give up quickly. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, oh, you would have got me there. Dang it. Okay, so let's stop and start over. And it's like, that's, that's not really an option. You know I mean? Like, just because you got me in a position and you you staffed me, I got to train to keep fighting past you know, mm-hmm. that's And that's what I, I make sure to mention whenever I'm teaching life defense stuff. It's like, you know, this the fact, the idea of doing this overwhelmingly is the same reason you do any kind of martial arts. The main main benefit that anybody gets out of any kind of martial arts is inoculating themselves to the most stressful environment possible. That's the mm-hmm. best benefit anybody can get out of training. Anything mm-hmm. is getting to the point where you don't just freeze up. You know, right. you can get to a point where you're willing and capable of keeping fighting. Even if you got hit, you got tackled, you got knocked to the ground, somebody cut you, somebody shot at you, whatever it mm-hmm. is. You, you develop the wherewithal to be able to fight even in that environment, that's what you know, you're supposed to get out of it. You know? mm-hmm. That's that's what's going to keep you going. Now that um, I don't remember where we're going, with that. but yeah, as as far as like my feeling on you know, training in, in a weapons based environment or something like that, because mm-hmm. it's extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean that's the one thing I got from the traditional jujitsu ideas. I felt like that was the benefit was the weapons. It was I learned I learned how to do really good at Kemi, like break falls and how to take falls and which I think is a great life skill. And I still think it's sort of just brushed over in a lot of, a lot of arts are not even yeah. covered. And I think, I mean, here's a great example. I have never had to defend myself against a knife or anything like that. Like, like I have had a gun pointed at me, but I haven't had to be in an altercation yet where I've had to like wrestle for a knife, but I, I don't know what else is called. The, the, it's like, you just stand on them and they're motorized and they have no hand. You know, there's no, nothing to hold on to. It's like, it's sort of like a scooter. Oh, Segway. Segway. That's right. But, but there's yeah. no handle on it. It's just the one that used to oh, be. Oh, like a hoverboard. Hover, sort of like that. Yeah. I got one of those. My kid got one. Probably one, one of my girls got one about five years ago. Right. And so I'm on this thing and I'm in the living room and I'm going. 
and it went this way, that way. And then I went boom up in the air. And I mean, I, I caught air. I was like three or four feet off the ground and I, boom, I did a side break fall out of it and I got up and walked away from it, you know? So that to me is like a life skill. And I think that's something I really got Absolutely. out of that system, you know, and learning how to use edge weapons and the difference between edge and impact weapons, flexible weapons, et cetera, you know, projectiles. Um, uh, those were all cool things. And I think that just having the familiarity with those things that if you ever do face them, it's not like, it's not foreign, it's not alien, you know, you can deal with it. Yeah. And and I think the uh, other content, con, uh, or the other thing I would mention about what you said about other instructors saying you should run or just, you know, or accept to die is like, then why are you doing martial arts? <laughs> right. I mean, at, at all. Why don't I just go run track every day and worry about that? You know, how fast you can get. I mean, what if the other guy's in better shape than you and he runs you down? Then what are you going to do? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think, I think what you're, um, I, I think definitely break falls are overlooked as a self-defense technique, overlooked mm -hmm. as a fighting technique. Because mm -hmm. so, I mean, that, I mean, you can you can slip and fall off a curb and hit your head. You know, of mm -hmm. course, somebody can shove you and fall back and hit your head. It doesn't matter. All the martial arts in the world, you know, if you're unconscious now, that doesn't really matter anymore. So yep. learning how to develop that kind of break fall ability and, you know, beyond that situation, awareness, all mm -hmm. that, and then, you know, how to how to recover standing up after break falling. I mean, those are, those are important parts mm -hmm. of the process that people kind of skim over in order to get to, you know, how do I do an arm lock? How do I do a choke? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that in my experience with Jiu-Jitsu, I've seen that where, where, where break falls and rolling is just like skimmed over. It's a very, it's trained very minimally and it's really not, not really taught, you know, uh, and, and I think it should be more seriously taught, but that's just my opinion. Um, even like, I know we're getting off topic a little bit, but even like the idea of like, you know, like I can't remember the name of it. I know it's in judo and I, and I did it one day where I was at the Academy and one of my friends who's a pro MMA fighter hit through me, you know, like he did it slow and controlled and we're playing around and hit through me and I went underneath it and I rolled him over again. I don't, I don't know if you can visualize it, you know, how you basically turn underneath them, like as a tendon roll and you take it down. And I was like, see, that's another great thing. It's just your, the ability just to use your body and know how to place it and, just from all the rolling in a chemi I did. Um, yeah. I think it's just a good skill. It's just, you know, body awareness. Um, so I don't know. That's just my opinion. Uh, what was, let's see. We already went over a lot of questions I was going to ask you. Um, well, we are back. Okay. Oh, there you are. There we are. Sorry. That's all. So, as you've aged, I want to ask you this for this for the older, the older uh, audience such as myself, because I I think I am actually I am older than you. Um, how is your jujitsu adjusted as you've aged? Because you've done this longer than I have. But, um, well, I, I definitely um, I'm still learning a lot of those ways that it's because sometimes i forget that i'm 45 not 25 and mm -hmm. uh you know I'll, I'll let myself get folded in half and i'll let myself get, you know all uh, twisted out of shape and there's some some um flexibility that i've always had that uh you know i, I discover something new each year that i'm like oh i'm as flexible that direction or, mm -hmm. or i have to kind of armor myself a little bit that direction so it doesn't lead to an injury but yeah i, I think a lot of it is um um, injury prevention and management. Like, mm -hmm. I think, you know, uh, more than anything else, I think it's just like keeping, um, 
keeping that kind of awareness and listening to your body uh, and treating it better that for me, especially treating it better than I did when I was younger, as far yeah. as um, you need more rest, you know, yeah. recovery comes slower. Um, mm-hmm. You know, your nutrition has to be a little more on point because, you know, you're, you're going to have, you're going to kind of feel the effects of what you're putting in your body a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to take a little bit longer to overcome those things. So, mm-hmm. uh, those, you know, just basic life kind of things, but as far as like the stylistically changing, you know, kind of fundamentally, um, you know, some of the, um, some of the things I'm, I'm a little heavier and stronger than I was when I was younger. But, mm. um, you know, again, the certain things like speed wanes, you know, flexibility mm. wanes a little bit. So, um, you know, trying to just kind of figure out, well, position by position, technique by technique, you have to be more pristine on your technique because it's like, you know, I, I could fudge a couple steps in this process, setting up this arm bar when I was you know, 27, but now I have to be precise and I have to make right. sure they're trapped every step along the way. And I can't skip a step because they're going to get free and they're going to probably escape the position because they're, you know, younger, stronger, faster than me or something like that. Mm. So it, you know, that, I think that's the good thing that if you're training, um, you know, intelligently, really spending the time on the repetitions of the technique and the drilling of the technique and not just going in and button heads with people live rolling, like you're trying to kill each other every single uh, session. You know, I think that that's, you know, you're, you're going to fundamentally be sharpening the technique you can apply in a little more structured, regimented kind of way that's going to be a little more sustainable. But yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that sustainability, I think, is, is a really important thing. But you also, um, it's, it's a balance. It's just definitely a balance. Because I, I see people who are like, you know, a few years younger than me talking about, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm too old to really roll like this or that anymore. It's like, uh, maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're kind of using a little bit too much of a crutch on your age too. You right. Because you, you can definitely push yourself a little bit, even at different ages. You just have to, a buddy of mine said it really well. He said, your body will do almost anything you ask it to do as long as you ask it nicely. Right. Now, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm 50. So, I mean, I just, I train a lot and, and I lift weights and do all that. But so it's just, I don't, I don't feel old. I mean, yeah, same you know, here. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I more than others, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have other, I have people in the academy tell me, well, you know, you're this age, or you're that, and it's like, well, but I don't feel it. Stop telling me I'm supposed yeah. to feel a certain way, you know. So I don't know. But uh, is, is there so do you do you do any type of strength conditioning or anything just to stay in, in shape or? or... Yeah, I've, I've definitely been more serious about that. Um, you know, in, in my in my forties, you know, I'm 45 now. And so, um, and at different times in my life, I've been more into it or, or not, but now I see a little bit more of the value of, um, rather than just going to the gym and trying to develop beach muscles, you know, it's like mm-hmm. going in and, and thinking about, okay, this, this more functional exercise is going to help me in this area or that area, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get things that aren't going to be, do things that aren't going to be hard on my joints, but instead, you know, build the areas that are going to reinforce those joints. They're going to help protect and help to armor rather than to, um, you know, just get bigger, stronger, or more explosive, see how much weight I can put up on the bench press, whatever. Right. Um, even though, you know, I still like to do some of that too, but it's like, I, and ultimately what I'm, I'm mostly concerned about now is like, so like uh, the creating 
of physicality that's going to help to support and sustain my ability to train and my ability to recover, you know, mm. and my ability not to, to develop too much um, strain on joints and bones and everything else whenever I am training. Right. And then, you know, other supplemental stuff too. I think that strength training is an extremely important thing, but it has to go hand in hand with nutrition. It has to go hand in hand with recovery and not only like sleep recovery, but recovery services like massage, I think is, is great. Chiropractic. I'm a big fan of, of mm. chiropractic um, things uh, uh, and, you know, other, other things too. I mean, there's, there's lots of other stuff to do as far as like cryotherapy, sauna, and mm. all of it's good. It just depends mm. on what your resources are and the time that allows Mm, mm, mm. What type of uh, diet do you follow now? Do you have any particular? You mentioned eating or? Um, I mean, I got a diet that I like to follow. <laughs> as far as like how how uh, strict I am on that, you know, uh, I think I eat pretty good. Unless you ask my girlfriend, she's going right. to tell you otherwise. Right. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I I again, I try to listen to my body, and I know like I know what I'm going to suffer for if I eat, mm. um, and I you know I know. What early in the day, middle middle of the day, and then late in the day, what I need to be eating, and then the composition of that kind of stuff. So I pay more attention to the macros, and then for the micros, I typically like do supplements. I, I you know make sure that I get like decent like uh, vitamins and and uh, different like uh, nutritional supplements for the stuff that whenever my diet's not on point, I'm still making sure that I get those things that I know I'm going to need for proper processing and recovery and everything as well right but no i mean i i don't um i don't follow anything like specific as far as like you know keto vegan carnivore or anything like that it's just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm omnivorous and i try not to eat completely processed crap, so. no it makes sense it makes sense as far as the supplemental what do you, do you have you ever tried the, the greens or anything like that or yeah i do uh greens and reds um huh? I, I, i've got um i forget the company brand right I, I do a, a green powder and a red powder and uh, mix those together. It actually tastes pretty decent. They put like a little, some kind of berry flavor that's really mild. You still taste the grass more than anything. Right. It's not, it's not horrible. Um, but yeah, I, I try to do things like that because there's so many like micronutrients in those things and phytonutrients, uh, you know, all that and probiotics. Mm. And so, uh, the gut health is super important because, you know, if you, if you have, it's crazy how so many of these things work. Like you can have this kind of vitamin deficiency and then supplementing that vitamin won't help with the vitamin deficiency. You gotta have a mineral that'll help you process that vitamin. Right. And it's just, right. it gets really complicated. So I feel like if I can get a pretty good broad spectrum kind of thing and then, you know, um, you know, of course there are certain things that I wanna make sure that I supplement with as far as like vitamin D and C and stuff like that too. But yeah, I like to, I like to hit the back rows as much as I can. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I take, I take C, D, E, you know, every uh, magnesium, zinc, uh, and a couple other things every day. But I, I'm I'm still looking more into that, like like as far as like what else can I take to help supplement my diet, which I think is pretty good. But again, it's like I don't want to. I only eat like two, you know, two times a day, three three day, three times on a good day. I'll eat three times. You know, most days it's two times. Mo- most days two times a day. Uh, and I'm just trying to find other ways to like, like you said, get the, you know, the micronutrients in that I need to, that I need to cover. Uh, yeah. I think that this, uh, this whole pandemic thing kind of exposed a lot of that, right? It I mean, did. Cause you start looking at the people who were getting the sickest and it's like, then it's like, Oh, so all these people had vitamin D deficiency. Oh, right. Like, you know, and then, and then on top of that, 
you know, it's like, oh, well, most Americans have vitamin D deficiency. Right. You know? And then it's like, well, that tells you something right there. And then you start thinking, okay, well, what else are we, what else are we kind of lacking in our diet like, as a, a society for the most part? And then, you know, probably that's a good thing to start looking at supplementation for and starting to look to see if you can get more of that stuff in your, in your diet and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, I take 4,000 4, IE of, of vitamin D a day. I feel about up in it. I'm thinking about trying six. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, just. I, you know, I, I've heard up to, you know, people say all the way up to 10. You know, yeah. I was listening to, uh, uh, who was it? Um, she's a really, she's a really fascinating nutritionist. Donna she's Patrick? On, uh, Donna Patrick. Yeah, okay. that's her. I was mm-hmm. her. She's, um, I heard her the first time on Joe Rogan's podcast, mm-hmm. and then I started mm-hmm. following her and, and uh, watching a lot of her stuff. And she's got great information. Like I yeah. listen to a lot of hers, and I think she's she's really got uh, her finger on most of what most people need to be uh, mm-hmm. supplementing, but not already. So, what what did she recommend for vitamin D? Yeah, she says she takes like ten thousand. Wow. Yeah. And so yeah, they yeah. um and and so the big thing on that taking like uh, a ton of vitamin C or vitamin D people worry about the effect that it's going to have on their liver. And it's like, well, then take vitamin K. It's going to yep. help your liver with the processing mm-hmm. of that stuff in the proper way. And so it's, you know, it can all be done. It's just, it's, it's a lot of homework. I think for right. a lot of people. So. That's it. I think that's part, that's part of it is people don't want to have to do the, do the research, but yeah, it's a good point. But like I, and the reason why I keep bringing up vitamin D is because I heard something and I, I believe it is that there's no cold, cold and flu season. There's a low vitamin D season. And I hundred percent believe that. Yeah. And that's why yeah. we get more, you know, infections. And I mean, I'm sure people can hear it in my voice. I'm actually getting over some right now that, you know, I got a nice cold for cold for Christmas. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. what about, uh, so, so as far as the dieting, I mean, the, 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 the macronutrients, you just basically it's animal protein and carbohydrates and like rice and things like that. Yeah, um, I mean, I, you know, something that kind of stuck with me a long time ago whenever I was, uh, you know, looking at the Gracie diet because, you know, I was mm-hmm. just head, ass, and elbows into everything Gracie Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the Gracie diet. I, you know, I even tried to follow that for, for a while. It didn't, um, I don't think that there's uh, a one-size-fits-all diet out there. Um, and But the thing that I did really get out of the idea behind the Gracie diet is just the simplicity. Mm-hmm. And which doesn't sound very simple when you say, well, you, this group here doesn't combine with this group and this right. group over here, can have one of, but not this, <clears throat> that seems complicated, but basically at the root of it, it's, um, eat things with less ingredients. Mm-hmm. Like if you just follow that, try to keep the bulk of the foods you eat, like the meals that you eat, like five ingredients or less. And if mm-hmm. you start doing that and it's not just crap ingredients, obviously, but you know, just right. keep the ingredients simple. Mm-hmm. and don't eat highly processed things, then that right there is pretty good. Now, then on top of that, if you start to think about, okay, well, let's, let's balance this out a little bit and realize that the food pyramid doesn't make any sense at all. Right. And that, you know, um, a lot of things that, that conventional wisdom of, you know, 20, 30 years ago are, don't hold up to what science tells us today. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, you're going to be doing, you're going to be doing pretty good. And then, you know, I think another part of it too i think one of the best ways you can the best things you can do dietarily yes yes i think that one of the best things you can do for yourself in that manner 
because to look at your physicality, your uh, body type, you know, your blood type, even things down to that, and mm -hmm. seeing, you know, like what, um, you know, different foods are going to do for you. You know, I think there's some foods that you can consider almost perfect foods, like avocados. You know, mm -hmm. right? it's, it's perfect for almost everybody. Well, mm -hmm. not for people with avocado allergies. Right. <laughs> you know, so right. if you start to th see things like that, and it's like, you know, there's there's not a one size fits all kind of thing. So mainly it's just been a process for me over the years of kind of listening to my body, knowing what I operate on best, you know, mm -hmm. what, how much how much protein I can eat, how much is going to weigh me down, how much is going to make me feel sluggish, how much mm -hmm. fat content that I need, which is something that, um, you know, people just until recent times started to, to shun away from, from fast. And then, you know, all of a sudden now we realize that, you know, we're not eating enough fat, you know, right. things like that. Right. Yeah, that was, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I, I don't remember what exactly the question. No, no, I asked you about micros, but no, it makes it makes sense. Actually, it's interesting because I actually just bought the book, The Racing Diet. I wanted to check it out and mm -hmm. see what it was about, so I bought it and and I looked at the chart in the in the front of the book and I got it and I was like, well, crap, I already eat like this for, for the most right. part. It's yeah. really just the combinations. I mean, there was like one rule I was breaking is I was putting like like crushed up almonds in my oatmeal. You're not supposed to you know do like a fat source with like a starch, so. I was like, okay, well, I messed that part up. But I, I want to read the book and I'm going to, I might try it out for, you know, a couple months and just see how I like it. I don't think it's going to be a big, big alteration from what I currently do, but I'm going to check it out. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, it's worth, worth checking out for sure. I mean, again, I don't think it's for everybody. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there's certain things that people don't consider uh, oftentimes about diets that um, just because like they, they look at a person over here, over there that are on this diet and they look great feel great they're doing awesome they're you know their energy levels through the roof they're, mm -hmm. they're nailing all the things but then this person over here tries the diet and they they do it to the t and it just doesn't have anywhere that has the opposite effect on them mm -hmm. well i mean that could be a number of reasons that that could happen i mean this mm -hmm. person may need um their metabolism may be different their allergies may be different mm -hmm. their um their geography may be different mm -hmm. you you can't take somebody expect to get the same results on a five foot you know chinese guy as a six foot three brazilian guy they're they're from two different geographies and so mm -hmm. probably they've they've been raised in an area where the the food that grows there the the the, the natural like um the natural like composition of it is going to be different and probably what they were raised on just because of the access to food you know you put them on a dramatically different geographical diet and you're, they're going to have a really weird response to it. Right. And that's something that, that it's one of those weird things that you don't want to think about. You think, well, you know, they're going to eat healthy food and they're going to have this response to it. No, not always. You know? So mm -hmm. you got to find it's, it's a big trial, a trial and error process. And that's, you know, it's yeah. One. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that too. Like there's like a theory behind certain foods are better for you based on your, um, on your uh, ethnic background or, you know, uh, you know, where your ancestors came from, you know, what part of the, the world and what continent and, you know, what you know, those type of foods that would, you know, be more benefit, that would be more beneficial to you as far as how they affect your body. Um, there's been studies done on that. Um, it's probably yeah. some, it's probably some truth to that. And as far as like yeah. the Gracie diet, the only part of the Gracie diet from the outside, but this is not a, this is not a statement made based on, extreme knowledge of the diet, but just what I've seen from the outside is that the amount of fruit consumption 
is like, oh my God, that sort of turns me off. You know, I'm just like, I don't want to eat that much fruit. I don't want to eat that much fruit. Yeah. Um, it's quite a bit. Yeah, it's quite a bit of fruit. All I remember right. uh, going to, um, we were at a camp one time and I remember um, the, the morning in the cafeteria before the training started mm. and they would bring out, um, I remember there was a, a table with food on it and everything and this guy went to get, there was a big pile of uh, bananas over here. It's probably like 15 bananas. And somebody went over there to like get one because it looked like it was part of the rest. So I was like, oh, that, those are voices. Oh. It was basically like, wait, the, the whole thing, those are all voices, bananas. It's like, yeah, he's, he's going to eat all those during the course of the day. You know, and then there was uh, pretty strictly just for uh, Alio. Uh-huh. And, and Alio would just sit there and it was like a machine. He'd grab this orange and just like, here and it was like one of those machines and it just peeled the whole thing off in like one one peel and he would eat you know 15 of these oranges Jeez. so it's yeah it's they, they're very very serious to the, the tea you know somebody was telling me that about 40 and taken um Kinner and huron when they were little to a birthday party where they were handing out um, they were handing out candy to the kids mm-hmm. and like they didn't know what it was they thought it was like toys or something they, they mm-hmm. didn't they hadn't been exposed to candy whenever they were five and six years old or something. And wow. So, yeah, it's, they're, they're very serious about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I heard. They're very, like, uh, they're very, very intense about it. Um, what's the most injury you've ever suffered in jiu-jitsu? Um, the, like the worst injury? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's hard to say the worst because it, that could be the most chronic or the most <laughs> because the like, most chronic are on my back and my neck probably because mm-hmm. um, I've got like degenerative discs with a bunch of bone spurs and stuff and so my, my spine is kind of a wreck um, on my neck and my back mm-hmm. um, my my knees uh, right now my left one is my good one um, mm-hmm. my right one has trouble stabilizing because it's just shredded in there uh, I've only broken uh, only things I've broken my hand, a rib, and a toe. Like I've mm. been lucky on that front, you know, so I, I don't think I've broken anything else. No. Um, and then you know the typical kind of tendonitis thing. I had to um, you know, deal with a lot of that stuff, like inflammation and tendonitis and stuff over the years, mm. rolled ankles and whatever. So nothing, nothing um, catastrophic, but definitely uh, my my back and my neck are, you know, they're, they're pretty restrictive. Like my ability to bridge is not the best uh, these days. And I gotta, I gotta kind of armor it because I can I tell when it's sneaking up on me. Right. Um, and the, that's getting back to the nutrition thing. Yeah. I know when I'm dehydrated and I'm training, like I'm, I'm just asking for an injury. I'm asking right. for like a, a bad muscle strain or a bad muscle pull. Mm-hmm. So, how much water do you drink? No, I mean, you like really like pound water to keep up with it. I try. I try to hit a gallon a day. Yeah. Um, and usually, usually I'm pretty close. So. Yeah, I tried. I mean, when I was younger, I would hit a gallon, even sometimes two, like in my 30s a day, uh, depending on what I was doing. But yeah, like last last couple of years, it's been really tough for me to like keep up to like gallon a day. I try as 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 hard as I can, but it's been tough. Um, yeah. I just get busy with work, and you know. I know I'm, I'm I'm bad about it too. Like I, I but I, I find that when I, I bring a gallon uh, jug with me, like mm-hmm. that I know this is a gallon. 
Mm. Like, I at least got to kill this today. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll keep it with me everywhere I go. You know, I keep it on the mat with me while I'm training. And so it's like that, that's, that's been the best device for me to have something that's literally a gallon to make sure that I at least drink that much. Right. In addition to, you know, uh, anything else. And then on days that I work out, I usually have like a, a amino acid supplement that has like a, that's supposed to have like a hydration thing. In it. It's got EAAs and BCAAs and then it's got some other stuff in it too and it's got um i forget what it has for the hydration but it's it's uh so that's usually in addition to my uh, oh yeah electrolyte and hydration optimizer taurine uh, calcium potassium phosphate citrate sodium phosphate and dimagnesium malate whatever the hell those are and uh you were once quoted as saying the hardest opponent i ever fought was myself which was a reference to the inner battle that many bga practitioners go through in terms of self-doubt can you elaborate on that yeah it sounds like something i was um sounds like i was probably trying to get around like like the hardest or if I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 100%. I think, I think that that's the biggest thing. I, I'm constantly telling people that usually we're the ones getting our way more than anything else. You know, but we're, we're the ones that are like really holding ourselves back. We're the ones that are like doubting ourselves. We're the ones that are like scared to succeed. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, I think that that's a, a big thing of it. I, I think it's a really I, that's what I like about jujitsu and like about watching progress in jujitsu, not just for myself, but for other people. It's about seeing them figure out that they're they're the ones standing in their own way. And that they're, you know, a lot of the time they're um it, well, I call it the dog chasing the car, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're doing a move and if you're disappointed in, in screwing them up or you're overly celebratory or excited pulling a move off mm. those are both times it's, it's pretty easy to catch somebody and mm. that's the times where people like um get caught up and they they, they get the t- the tables turned on mm. um, and you know a lot of times we're preparing for failure um more than we are preparing, preparing for success so you know mm. we're, we're kind of standing our ways that way that's something i've really become fond of saying lately and i got this from um, uh lieutenant colonel alan west uh, i heard him in a speech and I heard him say the phrase our our phrase, our safety nets should never become hammocks mm-hmm. and man that just set a light bulb off yeah. it is I'm always talking about how the backup plans but there's a there's a problem with backup plans there's a good thing about backup plans they mm-hmm. they should instill in you the confidence to to do that primary thing you were going to do with full effort to really attack this thing head on and know that the you have the confidence that well if this doesn't work out this fails i've got this backup and i know what to do if it fails i know if this doesn't go right i know what to do mm-hmm. but a lot of the time what happens is uh you see this in jiu-jitsu a lot of time it's like well i've got this like triple combo thing, right okay, this combo i do from here three things and you start to fall in love with the third thing you know it's like that's the last one i always hit Mm-hmm. You know, it's not this first thing or the second thing it's this third thing so then mm-hmm. what happens you start half-assing your first thing or your second thing mm-hmm. right and then now all of a sudden your third thing starts to fail it's like why why does that fail i was good at that before 
that's because I was putting the energy into that first thing and that second thing. And that was eliciting the response and the energy that I needed from that person to create the opportunity for that third thing. Mm. When I started to, to devalue the primary, the secondary and tertiary started to suffer. Right. right. So um, that's, that's getting a little bit deeper into it, but I think that that's the big, big thing that we need to be aware of. I need to go into the decision. If I'm developing a strategy, I need to have this primary plan of action and I need to go into it with confidence and I need to go into it with um, you know, uh, aggressiveness and really be prepared to succeed with it. But if it doesn't, I know it's going to, the, the reason it's not going to work why is it not going to work? He's going to respond to me in one of two or three different ways. Now, I've got a plan for all three of those different ways. If I go for this thing and he shuts me down this way, I've got a plan for that. So I'm going to flow seamlessly into that. Mm-hmm. He does it this way, same thing, I've got a plan for that. So, you know, that that's one way that I feel like uh, jujitsu can really help people with, from a philosophical or mentality or psychological standpoint, it can really help them develop a little more confidence and just kind of the day-to-day activities or day-to-day decision making everything that way but ultimately that that the reason that a lot of people even need help with that they need help with it because we don't innately have we're we're too scared of failure we're too worried about failing we're too worried about letting people down we're too worried about not living up to our potential or living up to our potential and then having to deal with all that comes with that right right that makes a lot of sense so out of all the different, you know, you know how you have, you have uh, drilling, free rolling, you also have situational training, et cetera. What's your favorite mo- uh, modality to use to, to improve skill the quickest? Mm, yeah, I think that's two different questions at one. Because I, I, don't, I don't like drilling, <laughs> but, uh, because like I, but I think that's the most important part. I think mm. that, uh, and I separate, um, Repetition work from drilling. Like I think that because I always I always separate it like this. I, you take the technique, you repeat the technique with a compliant partner who's giving you the right situation and the right you know the right context to like do that technique repetitively. Yeah, feeding, feeding it correctly, yeah. Feeding it correctly, yeah. yeah, for sure. And then so you get the mechanics down. You get knowledgeable enough to it to where you can do it seamlessly and, and you've got it all out. Now you drill it. Mm. Drilling to me is varying degrees of resistance from like extremely mild resistance to um like full-on resistance mm-hmm. um but this that's like what you i think called situational yes um, the situational yeah. drilling yeah yeah or right. training so yeah. The, right yeah so I, I think that that situational drilling is kind of the step beyond that with that repetition of technique that's where you're going to take that's where you're going to find that ability to insert that technique into the live role because mm-hmm. you can you can you can rep out a technique optimal conditions with perfect conditions from a compliant partner who's giving you the, the perfect conditions and it's never going to materialize possibly in a live role or right. in a fight or whatever um, because it, it was never pressurized you know? mm-hmm. now when you start to drill it you add to that you add that pressure to it now it's more likely that when the opportunity for that technique when the conditions become optimal in a live role it's actually going to materialize because you drill it with pressure right. um, and I, I think that it, it can get tedious a lot of the time and exhausting to drill it. Like I think it should be drilled a lot of the time, but I mm-hmm. think that that's the most valuable thing. If I'm like, I, I haven't competed in a number of years, um, but you know, when, when I would, I did the best 
actually because I just drilled the hell out of uh, a strategy, you know, mm. and then, and I did different iterations of it. It's like, okay, well, this is, this is my takedown. Um, and this is my complementary opposite to that takedown. Um, this is my guard pass. And this is my complement guard pass. And this is my complement to that one. Now, mm. Drill it, drill that sequence, boom, boom, boom. And then put it into live role or put it into just like a fragmented out um, live situational drilling. Um, and then I saw that those techniques, those sequences would materialize better into the live action than just if I had spent time on repetition or just time free rolling. Mm. Because you can, you can free roll and maybe um, a certain technique comes up one time in a 30 minute session or hour session. Right. Whereas if you drill that technique you know, 500 times, then, you know, it doesn't matter that it comes up one time in a free roll because you drilled it as much as it needed to be drilled. So that's, that's really the key. And I think that when you see the best people in the world, it seems to me the best people in the world are doing uh, two big things almost more than anything else. They're doing high, high levels of repetition of drilling and they're constantly putting themselves in bad situations and then drilling from there out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, you look at people like Gordon Ryan or Craig Jones or something, it's like, well, how did those guys get better? There's mm-hmm. no way they're drilling with people on their level all the time. Sometimes, right. yeah, but not all the time. They, mm-hmm. And somebody asked Hickson the same thing years back whenever Hickson was on a whole different planet than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you get better? Well, uh, you handicap yourself, you know, and you let yourself it and get the start in bad positions sometimes or get put in bad positions and um, you know, that, those are valuable things and then also just repetition 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 you know so, and that's how that's how hard you did it yeah, Gracie, yeah, that's how he trained yeah it was uh all put himself in bad positions and fighting another out of, the, out, of, out of that area i think he said i think he said he he made his defense the best he could like he, he he got it like top notch. He knew he, knew he escaped from everywhere, and then he put himself in bad positions and find out of those positions and go from there. Yeah, so seemed to work and for you him. Saw it, you know, like yeah. you saw the both uh, both times he fought uh, uh, Bushesha, mm-hmm. and like the first time, first time he, you know, Bushesha would have caught him in an armbar that would have mm-hmm. ripped anybody else's on the planet's arm off. Yep. Um, and the second second time they met, it was a completely different story, but mm-hmm. it was you know it. You see that, like that, those guys. Uh, same, same idea behind watching that, that uh, EBI with uh, Craig Jones and Gordon Ryan. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing when you said that. Yeah, it was the EBI overtime round, yep. and uh, Craig Jones caught deep, deep armbar on Gordon Ryan, and he just mm-hmm. fought tooth and nail, and, and he got out of it. And um, those guys have just been there, you know, more times than most people have, have been in any position. You know? Yeah, and Gordon even said, I mean, Gordon said that Craig popped his arm. There was like a yeah. couple pops. Yeah, he got him. I mean, he didn't break fully break his arm, but he but he did injure him. But it's the whole mentality too those that those guys have. They're just beasts, you know. They just I, like I don't care. I'm not going to get. I'm not tapping. You know, I can get broken, but I'm not going to tap. Um, and I've seen. I saw footage. I think of Gordon from years back. I think it was a blue or purple belt match where he just snapped this dude's arm from like a uh, Shiro Senkaku with a Kimura. Yeah. It just popped this guy's arm really bad. So, I mean, it just it happens, I guess. I mean, if you don't tap, you get broken, right? So, but yeah, but those are like, but yeah, when you were, before you even said it, we were talking about Hodger, I was thinking that Craig Jones, uh, Gordon Ryan, ABI overtime, that was, was brutal. I, I can't yeah. believe he got out of that. It was just like. It was nuts. 
Yeah. It hurt my arm just watching it. Not yeah. many people in the world that would have uh, survived that. No, no, it's incredible. The guy's a beast. Um, what about what about Gee versus Nogi? I always ask this question of everybody, and I'm sure people listening. Oh, hold on, we froze up. Okay, we're back. Okay, sorry. So I asked this. I asked this question of of everybody, and I'm sure people are getting tired of of hearing it, but I don't care because I like to ask it. So. When it comes to gi versus no gi, do you have a preference, or do you feel like that one complements the other, or, or, uh, or they have they have different values, or uh, all those things? Yeah, I do have a preference. I prefer no gi uh, mm-hmm. over gi. Um, anything you can do no gi, you can do in the gi. Mm-hmm. Not not the same, vice versa. Right. Um, you know, there's there's things obviously things that are easier to do no gi than gi, and things that are easier to do gi versus no gi. Um, and in my, my opinion, you know, it, it waxes and wanes, but it's just, it's, it's a personal love. Right. It's not, it's not that I think that one is superior to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I could argue either way like right. that one is, one is better than the other, but from, I just, I like no need better these days personally. Um, they, they obviously both have benefits for sure. I mean, um, things the friction in the gi is obviously a huge factor. The grips is obviously a huge factor. The, the versatility of attacks. Uh, you know, you get on somebody's back uh, in the gi and you've got 50 different ways to attack them, just right. in chokes probably. And uh, you get on somebody's back in no gi and, you know, you've got drastically less. But it's faster, more fast pace. It's, it's, uh, but, you know, there's, there's so much creativity that can be applied to both. Um, and the, the pace can vary so much, and the, the considerations have to vary so much. The, the, yeah, there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff about both of them. And mm. I don't I don't dislike gi training. Um, I just prefer no gi person. I'm the same way. I, I actually I do both about equally, but I prefer no gi. I just I just I don't know. I think it, for lack of a better reason, that it just feels better. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think that that's that's a big reason for me too. Yeah, I feel like I feel like gi is like swimming through mud. There's all the it's all the friction and everything, and it's just like wow. It's just it's just when I started doing because I for the first seven years I didn't really do much. I didn't didn't do a lot of no gi because of the scheduling issues. And but now it's the opposite. Where now I can I can train it really frequently, and uh, yeah. and I've really enjoyed it. And my fingers don't hurt anymore. And you know, yeah. so I don't know. I just have fun with it, and I feel like it's it just to me. It's like I like the idea of grappling. You know, if you know just basically wrestling with submissions and I, I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Um, so you have, like I said, you have uh, six instructionals on BGJ Fanatics. Um, people should absolutely go check those out. Uh, you can also be reached at, uh, you have exclusive uh, class content at patreon.com backslash night jujitsu. Uh, uh, you are on Instagram at, at night underscore jujitsu or Jew underscore jujitsu underscore. Uh, you're on TikTok at at my jujitsu. <laughs> or follow me on DTube. What's a DTube? Is it like another it's, type of YouTube? Um, it's, well, it's, uh, yeah, it's based off of uh, this thing called, and this is something that a friend of mine talked to doing a long time ago. It's, it was like crypto driven uh, um, social media stuff as an alternative to like um, social media platforms that mm-hmm. are mainstream. And he's like, oh, this is this is going to be big. It's going to be, you know, the next thing, you know, it's going to make money off of crypto and people love other stuff. And he's telling me all about it. And I'm like, 
bro, if you're just excited about it, if you want to throw my videos on there, then you, you know, you can keep like, you know, give me some change off of it if it makes money. And if yeah. not, then you keep it. I don't care. Right. Because um, I, I didn't feel like fooling with it. And so I just, I put it into, a, you know, I put it in my bios and stuff to, that it still exists. I don't even know if it still exists, honestly, but mm. it's uh, just another platform I'm on. And I, I, there's a, I, I keep telling myself when I'm, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I, I should probably be on this platform or that platform. And I'm like, damn, when am I going to have the time to do that? Like, it's, right. it's just kind of me. I don't have a lot of, like, I don't have social media managers and stuff. I'm not, not quite there yet. So. Right, right, right. And then you're on uh, Steam It. What's it? I never heard of that one either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. steamit.com at backslash at jiu uh, at my jiu bjj. So I'm going to say that yeah. again because I screwed it up so bad. It's, it's <laughs> steampeak.com backslash at night bjj. Okay. So that's what it is on Steam. It. So uh, I really, again, I really appreciate you coming on today and talking to me. Um, it was a lot of fun, Eli. Um, if, if you ever want to come back on, I, I think it'd be great. Uh, we could, you know, talk about some more self defense things or particular topics. Um, we can put together if you want to. Um, I'm I'm yeah. all for it. Um, but again, I, I really thank you for coming on and talking to me. Um, I hope you had a great Christmas and, uh, and you have a happy new year. Yeah, same to you, man. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. I had a great conversation and it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks. Thank you very much. And I'll uh, speak to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Craig. Okay.